Welcome to Recommissioned, a bi-weekly podcast where we go back to watch Battlestar Galactica. Each week, I'm joined by my good pal Matt, who has only seen the episodes up to the one we're covering. Now, I've seen them all. And this week, we bring you Season 3, Episode 18, The Sun Also Rises. Why did you give me those books? Huh? I mean, you gave me your father's law books. I made a mistake. Why? Why is it a mistake? Are you afraid that I'll be like him? You're a pilot. And with Zack gone and Kara gone, you need someone to carry the flag. Is that it? You're a pilot and you're my son. I will not look across that court and see you sitting on the other side. See me or see someone else? Report for duty. Lampkin might be my new favorite character on this show. And I think everything he does is interesting and kind of fascinating. I'm also not totally sure if I understand his intentions or motive at all. <laughs> I don't <laughs> quite fucking know what to make of this guy, Dean. I'm going to need some help. You're like, as far uh, as, uh, I think I have a new favorite character who <laughs> is really mysterious, and I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> he's so mysterious, I, have no idea. I don't know how to feel or think or behave around him at all. He you is know, a just strange, charmed by his Irishness. He is a strange bird, isn't he? He's a strange one, man. I like his style. I like the way I, I was especially impressed with his whole. Uh, I can't wait to get to that scene where we're, where we dive into his talking to Six and honestly treating her just like a, an emotional being, unlike anybody else on this ship. I think it's fascinating and a very interesting tack for him to go. But I also, I'm not going to lie. On first view, I was like, is he trying to convince her to kill herself with this pen? <laughs> like, I genuinely had that thought. It, but then on second go around, I was like, I don't think that's it. It feels that way, doesn't it? Do you do, it kind do you, of it feels threatening. It does. It feels a bit threatening. So before we dive into that, this guy Mark Shepard, who plays him. Oh, he's so good. Romo Lampkin, by the way. Yeah. I know it's probably been a while since you've seen it, but do you recognize him from any other science fiction? The name, when I finally looked him up, Mark Shepard, I was like, ooh, that sounds familiar, but I don't know what. And I haven't looked it up yet. Yeah, be careful looking I'm scared. it up. But um it's uh, yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to spoil myself from so far along in the goddamn battle star. I don't want to ruin it now. Truth be told, I'm not going to do it. I'm a bit scared. <laughs> Makes me angrier than an Englishman pacing on a beautiful Irish lass. Is that, is that a thing? Is that, is that an Irish expression? I'm Am I a little too into character? I don't know. <laughs> it's worse than running my pop, my fucking papa's cock across a cheese grinder. That's an old Irish saying. Is it? <laughs> I was going to say something lovely about running me hands across a field of barley, but uh, you took it in a <laughs> fucking grosser direction there. There's nothing nicer. It's like having a perfectly cooked potato out of an oven. Oh, God, is it? Come on, guys, you're better than this. Firefly, man. He plays a character named Badger. Oh. He wears a fucking bowler's cap. Yes, he's the shitty guy. They're like trying to like, they offer like an oven too, right? Uh, yeah, right? it's something crazy like that. Something like that. Something like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he's great. So it's like, dude, you are in Battlestar Galactica and Firefly. You, you're, you win. You made it. Dude, you made in it. Both of those shows. Uh, Not- and he was on an episode of the X Files. Fuck, this guy's sci fi royalty. He is. Yep. He's sci fi royalty. He's hitting and the And Sliders? Shit. Yeah. Well, and Star Trek Voyager? Ah, Sliders was the experimental phase in college, you know? <laughs> that you don't want to talk just, about you know, it. I thought I'd try it. You don't want to talk about that at Thanksgiving. Yeah, you just sort of. <laughs> That's water under the bridge, as they say. But if you can find them in Star Trek, I'll, I'll be a happy camper. Right. That's the thing he immediately changes the subject to when somebody asks him about his time on Sliders. Well, I was in a Voyager episode, too. Also, oh, was he? Way. Is that what you said? Yeah, he was in Star Trek Voyager. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, you know, 
Being in Star Trek Voyager isn't bad. It's like getting a bronze. There's nothing wrong with a bronze. <laughs> <laughs> it is a legitimate Star Trek show, sir. It is. I like it's that a- Enterprise Absolutely. Nonsense. He he meddled, at least. Right? In the, as far as Star Trek goes, he meddled. Right. He stood on the podium. Don't you fucking take that away from me. He did. I mean, in one of those sports nobody watches ever. In fact, it's so unpopular, whatever sport it was in. That he was in that they didn't actually televise it. They just like and oh, he's the and he's the white guy who did the black power symbol for like curling, and you're like, what are you doing? Page seven of the newspaper, bottom of the sports section, <laughs> in the local paper from where he's from. That's about it. Way off track. Way off track. But he is awesome. He is Mark so Shepard is an interesting character. Uh, he brought a lot of this stuff to the character on his own. Uh, this Mark Shepard dude, he was like, I'm going to do the sunglasses because I'm gonna. Isn't that funny? Isn't that quirky? But you you started this by telling me you really love him. And, and I want to talk about it. You know, there's there's a couple of major things in this. There's And here's what I think we should talk about this week. Yeah. We should probably talk about Adama, Bill, Bill and Lee, okay? Indeed. They're yeah. tit for tat. We should definitely talk about, hey, look, Andrews is still alive. Uh, and, <laughs> and not coping well. Yeah, the coping of with Starbucks loss. We should, we have to talk about uh, you know the major through lines here. Of course, the the Gaia stuff and in in the man of the hour, Romo Lampkin. His last name is horrific. It's really bad. <laughs> At first, I thought it was Lambkin, like a lamb. But then it was like, no, it's Lamp Lampkin. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of like whimsical fairy troll. It really does, doesn't it? Like a real well, I'm ugly. A lambkin living in a tree. Somehow they've managed to keep Lampkin cute, despite only having like three wisps of hair and a knobby skull. <laughs> but that's a that's the name Lampkin, as far as I can see. Lampkin, yeah. Well, Sounds talk like to me about gnome. Lampkin. What do you? Oh, by the way, just a real cool piece of trivia. Romo, as we know, there's the only Romo I know is the one that used to play football. Tony, uh, but Romo is Ron. R O more M O Romo. Oh, cute, is this huh? his own? Is this his own character insert? He's like, this is me. <laughs> I don't know if he's saying that's him, but uh, room around the campfire is Matthew. Room around that oddly shaped BSG uh, shaped campfire because you know it wouldn't be a circle; it'd be like the edges cut off on the campfire. <laughs> that uh, it no was. That is exactly how it was. Actually, there we go. He's mm-hmm. pulling a vonnegut. He's like, I'm just going to be God in my story. <laughs> I'm going to show up. Right. So you dig him. I dig him, man. And it's mostly because of his completely different style and approach uh, against pretty much anyone aboard Galactica. Like, it's, it's, he's just a fascinating character as far as the way he talks to and treats other people. Like, he seems to look past their exterior and looking almost inside of them. Uh, and again, like I was saying, my favorite aspect of him that I'm also equally confused about, like, I don't know how he feels about Six and what he wants the Caprica Six to actually do. But the way he initiates conversation with her and the way he gets into the idea of love and can Cylons feel love, he's prodding for an emotional response. And most of the people aboard, like, I still feel like, you know, as much as people have started to accept Athena, I still feel like there's a general feeling of Cylons are fucking bloodless machines. They don't have feelings. They don't have emotions. They can't be trusted. Fuck them. They're the enemy. Um, And I love how he just goes right in to basically plying her love for Gaius to see where she stands on him and see what he can get from her. I'm not quite sure what he's angling to get from her, 
but I just like that he started there. I'm like, that's interesting. Like he kind of treats everybody. It has like a, a very rugged equality about him. He kind of thinks of everybody as the same, the same damaged emotional creatures. Right. You, you get the, you get the impression he's either vying for loyalty. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, he wants his client to be victorious Right. He, he does seem a bit aloof at times, but he, he does seem to have a method to his madness, um, which I, I can't wait to talk about. But one of the things I love about this character is that this used to be, Lampkin's role used to be filled out and was for most of the show until his incarceration and subsequent disappearance from the script, Guy's Baltar. Mm-hmm. And let me explain what I mean by that. Despite the fleshed-out characters that live on board the Battlestar Galactica and Colonial One, and despite the fleshed-out characters that exist on the Cylon base stars, we still are seeing two, two influential governing bodies that permeate all of the characters that are in those hierarchies. What I mean by that, Matthew, is that the Colonial, the colonial fleet and the Cylon fleet, while made up of different interesting characters, all have a lot in common, don't they? because they're sort of doing the same thing. And one of the interesting aspects of Guy's Baltar, at least from enjoying this show and thinking about the writing of it, was that Baltar was apart from both of them. And he plied both of them sort of against each other right. to further himself and to survive himself. He, right. At times unwillingly, but always of course, for survival. Of course, at times unwillingly. And also because he was always viewed as an outsider. That's one of the things about the cult-like nature of the colonial fleet especially considering the circumstances where they're up against the wall and they're facing uh, termination. They tend to be very insular. They're not really looking for outside influence and ideas. They weren't keen on Zarek. They're not keen on these outside characters, and they're not keen on Lampkin. And uh, that's the thing I like about it. I like, I like throwing a little bit of a wrench into the status quo. Um, I think it makes for interesting storytelling. And, um, and it's not, and, and, and I'm going to be meta here, but as of now, if, if Lampkin is a Cylon, we don't know he is at this point. I'm not saying he is or he isn't, but I am addressing it so people don't think I make any mistakes when talking about him. We right. know who he, he is, who he, we are taking him, we have to take him at face value because we don't know. And then we can sort of judge his behavior as we go through the, the motions here. But what is interesting about him is that seemingly he is not a Cylon, he has his own motivation, he's not part of the uh, colonial military hierarchy. He doesn't seem to be overly sympathetic to the Cylon cause, uh, at least at the outset. And he is, in essence, a thorn in the side of, of everyone. Uh, uh, but he's also, like you said, he's intriguing. Like, you don't get, you don't get like he is annoying, right? You wouldn't say... No, not you, at all. You, but, you, but, you're, but you're not sure you would trust him, right? Is that a good way to say it? I think so, because it, it's hard to tell what he's aiming to get from you or from anyone. Um, although I find him intelligent and interesting. <laughs> right, and he, he very much is. And he is brought into this, Matthew, because they cannot keep the lawyers alive. They sure can't. Uh, they get popped <laughs> pretty quick. The, the lawyer who was responsible for distributing Gaius's manifesto, he at least did that much for him, gets got immediately in this episode a bomb aboard a raptor actually takes him out right and that's the whole opening of this episode we see some coping a, a really cute picture starbuck with a mustache i know we see Ugh. anders having a rough go falling off the ship um he's drunk as a skunk breaks his leg apparently and then of course to top it all off a crazy explosion 
which leads us to the president having to make an address to the press, which is, listen, we have to replace him. There's candidates. And they're thinking, well, how are you guys going to keep him safe? Right. And should the trial happen at all, if there's this kind of lethal pressure coming around it? And this is where Rosalind is saying, we will not bend the knee to terrorists. It will not change how we move forward with the trial. The trial is happening. Right. And the main thrust of this episode is almost, we, we, we have a bit of a three-headed beast here, don't we? The plot doesn't really matter. This is very character-driven. Oh, yeah. Because the plot, there's nothing really happening with the plot. We're seeing how does Adama deal with Carathrace's death? How does Lee deal with Carathrace's death? And then what what's going on with Lampkin and Baltar? You have the subplot right. of the assassination involving um, the signals officer Kelly. Yep. Comes what did you think about an that? assassin? What's that? What did you think about about it being him? Mm, and I'll, he was one of the guys from the other Battlestar, correct? Originally, no, he was. He had. He was actually a miniseries. So he's Fuck, he's popped he up around. every now and again. Right. He looked really familiar, but I couldn't remember if he had originated on Galactica or the other ship. But damn, yeah. I mean, in a sense, it doesn't surprise me. I, I think it was actually a good choice to make it be a crew member, not a civilian or, or some soldier, but like an actual member of the flight crew and a member everybody knows just to show how deep this antagonism towards Gaius runs. Uh, and I mean, the way he says it, he's like, I, you just need to lock me up because I'm not going to stop. If I get another right. chance to try and take him out, I'm going to. Um, right. And I, I think, you know, a lot of times this show uses a single character as a symbol for what a lot of people are thinking. Um, and I, I feel like, Kelly kind of makes a good choice for that, that it, it, you can't, if it's him, you can't even trust officers. And I think that's what's important about it being Kelly. And I like the, I like the threat level that, that it is being him, another officer aboard the deck that's so close to everything that you're like, shit, he even got so corrupted and so full of hatred towards Gaius that he was willing to put his own people at least in danger. He wasn't trying to kill them. He, you know, he talks about when he's finally caught how he wouldn't have blown it up with Adama on board and he was never going to set it off. But the point is, he's willing to put other people's lives at risk to take out Baltar. He was uh, literally willing to kill Athena. Right, right. Right? She was on the cockpit, and he was willing to kill that Marine. And uh, yeah. it's, it's really funny that, uh, you know, I, I don't mind, you know, I, I, one of the problems I have when discussing this kind of thing is I have this propensity, and in, in it's, it's something I'm trying to eliminate in, in, in just about everything I do. And that's assuming I know what anybody thinks about anything because nobody really knows what anybody thinks about anything. We only know what they tell us that they think and we have this confirmation bias, which is like, well, that's what I would think. So they should probably think that too, which is a really challenging way to live uh, when when communication is probably your best bet. Um, Without going off on a psychological tangent about how communication is important in our society, what I will say is this. I, I am... I'm telling you, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. So on the one side of my mouth, I'm going to tell you that I thought the idea of an officer trying to assassinate Baltar was kind of weak from a plot standpoint. And I'm only saying that because here's the other side of my mouth, because I am applying my rational brain to Kelly and assuming he would make decisions like I would make, which is a mistake. What I have to do better is go, okay, Let's assume Kelly is just not in his right fucking frame of mind. I understand that he is making a. I understand that he is making a decision through a, a compromised lens, and he's willing to just kill Athena. I mean, somebody he's served with for a long time. He's willing to kill that Marine. What? Why does? Why is he? Why should he should be? Why? Why are we sacrificing him for what purpose? 
And then we don't really know what that explosion is going to do. Maybe we catch Chief. Maybe we catch whoever. Yeah. And that's something the Chief talks about. Thank God the little cat scurries out there and he spots it. But that that's a big part of me going, Kelly, you're not really thinking this through, are you? You know, like, you know I'm applying a rational mind to somebody who's acting irrationally. And, right. and consequently, that's making my mind. So in my mind goes all this information. Then I spit out bad plot, bad writing. You know what I'm saying? Versus <laughs> sort of separating the ingredients out in my head instead of putting them in the blender and saying, well, Dean, don't apply your level-headed uh, sort of morality in a situation that you're not familiar with and you don't know how this man thinks. So um, feels, that's yeah. right. So I, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you feel about the assassination subplot stuff? I mean, there, there is the one side of it that I do start to go, well, boy, how far does this really go is because it's not like anybody, anybody, no matter how much you, if you're a crew member or a civilian or anyone who hates Baltar and you mm-hmm. hate him, you think he's a fucking worthless traitor who deserves to die. Sure. Even if you're that, that person, I don't think anybody could make the argument that Gaius being alive and being around is still a threat. Like he's not a threat anymore. Like that's been pretty fucking neutralized. I, I don't know how anybody could be able to make that argument. So really going after him this hard, trying to kill him is just pure vengeance. Um, like it, it is people wanting to take revenge, which they, you know, some people probably frame as justice, but they want to kill him out of a, you know, a feeling of all the things he did to us on New Caprica, he needs to die for them. We cannot let him go unpunished. Um, and to <laughs> me, that strikes of a very emotional reaction, um, which is which is why I think I'm okay with it being an officer, with it being somebody so close and who should be more rational. That it, it I think it, what's important is that it's Kelly because it shows how far up that opinion and that irrationality and that emotional reaction has gone. Um, I can that even somebody in his standing is willing to possibly kill his own comrades in arms and possibly get himself <laughs> thrown in prison for fucking ever uh, to get a shot at killing him. And it's purely emotional. Like I was saying, the, the, you can't make any, there's no basis to say that si- or that um, guy is continuing to be there is a threat or presents, you know, a way for the Cylons to get back to them. It's like, no, he's been in, he's been in a cell for months now. Like there's, he's, that's a neutralized threat. You just yeah, want him dead. It, it is an interesting. It is interesting to note uh, one one piece of logistics for this episode is that we are two weeks removed from Kara's death. So, just to give you a sense of time, but yeah. I like what you're talking about here because I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. And I didn't think we were going to talk about the subplot this much, but <laughs> hey, that's what happens when uh, you make things interesting. So, thank you for that, Matthew. But it's the it, it's the he's no threat to the fleet, right? You, right. you would probably get different answers to that. And I'm not saying they're right and you're wrong. If you ask members of the fleet because of the emotional stir he's causing and the sense of closure that the fleet seems to need regarding him. Right. But is all, which I would argue is still all an emotional. A hundred fucking like, percent. I'm with you. Yeah. That's, that's people not taking responsibility for their own actions. And I'm talking about on the extreme end. I'm not, I'm not judging somebody who's sitting at home thinking that piece of shit. Fine. You're going to think that you have, you have that feeling Every in you. right to think that. Yep. Absolutely. I, I would not, I'm not judging what anybody feels. You have all the right in the world to feel that way, Taylor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Take cover. Sorry. All right. <laughs> New listeners are like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> oh, shit. But um, 
Yeah, it's a um, it, yes. It is a. It is an. It he can't be responsible for your feelings, and this is something I'm very fond of saying. You know me, Matthew, especially when it comes to words. You have to take responsibility for your own feelings and actions surrounding what other people say, and you can't allow them to have so much power over you. Um, and and I'm and I'm just talking about with what people say. Now you could argue, and there's there's a whole trial going to be around this entire argument about. What, how complicit was Baltar in the things that happened? And there's a lot of people who feel he was quite complicit in that he needs to face justice. And that is circulating around the fleet enough to where you have a seasoned officer trying to blow him up with no regard for blowing up Athena or a random Marine or a possible deckhand surrounding that Raptor, which just goes to show you where this character is. I mean, to have to have a Marine escort, to have to have... Uh, body armor to have to have uh, constant surveillance. I mean, this guy is uh, is like fucking Jeffrey Epstein. This guy, you know. <laughs> so you're saying they're gonna walk into a cell? But, oh, he's dead. <laughs> oh shit. Oh wow, how'd that happen? <laughs> how come? How come there's forty feet of rope and, and all kinds <laughs> of stuff in this cell? Up brand new from Home Depot. It says. Well, I guess we'll never find out what him and all those other rich perverts were up to. Dust your hands, boys. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Podcaster from LSG Media, Matthew Anderson disappeared. Story at eleven. <laughs> Dude, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> there's already from behind. There's already a guy in your apartment climbing through the window. God damn, these guys move quick. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> I've been bugged. Matthew went and got himself suicided. <laughs> anyway, but Baltar, yeah, he's in this crazy. He's in this crazy situation, and. uh and I understand the effect it, that people feel that it has on the fleet, but why? It, I, I don't understand. I guess I guess I understand the anger, and and again, I'm going to try to try to rationalize it and ask the questions. Sadly, Kelly's not here to answer them, but I don't understand what he thinks he can accomplish by killing Baltar's lawyers. Right, right. It's, it doesn't, again, it's you know, like, it doesn't stop anything. It's not going no. to, you, I mean, you know, leadership, you know, they're never going to quit. And that is, dude, that's honestly something I'm always shocked at when people are angry at a lawyer for defending someone in a trial. I'm like, dude, that ah, is, that comes in up the, in this episode quite a bit with Lampkin's discussions with Lee. Oh, absolutely. But I'm like, that's, Dude, if you want to believe in right now, I'm talking just straight up about not the show, but like if you want to believe in rights and the Constitution. Like, I don't care who you, you could be, the fucking baby murderingest son of a bitch alive, you still get a trial and you still get a defense attorney. Like, that's that's how it works. That's how the system should work. We can't just be like, ah, fuck him. He's just so bad. We should just forego all of these rights that are enshrined in the Constitution. Like, no, man, no, can't do it for anybody. Absolutely. And, and, and to bring that back to the Battlestar Galactica universe, I find it so interesting that the very people presiding over this case, it seems the, the, the way the procedural law is in this seems a bit slipshod, right? Like, how does Rosalind and or Adama have a say in who's going to counsel Gaius? Well, also, didn't at one point they were, they were talking to um, Lee about just what even the structure of the trial was going to be like. Is it going to be a tribunal? Is it going to be a trial by jury? Like, they hadn't even figured that out yet. Right. Because um, it really hasn't come up in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, when it comes, you know, so far we've only really seen military law at work when it's one of their own, and that's always a military tribunal, which makes sense. But, you know, Gaius is a civilian, and it's like they haven't had to do a civilian trial in quite a while. Right. Yeah, it's 
I, I guess I guess Adama's going to be one of the, so so they do this thing where they pick some ca- captains. Mm-hmm. Adama Randomly ends up captains of ships. Yeah, and Adama's going to end up being one of these captains, and they're going to preside over this thing. And then there's going to be somebody who represents, I guess, uh, for for better to, to say it easily, somebody who represents quote the fleet or the state, as it were. Right. Right. So I guess you'd say your district attorney. <laughs> For the Indeed. for the prosecution is uh, I'm not even exa- oh it's that woman we know right that blonde woman we meet her and then Lampkin is going to represent the defendant in this case which of course is our main man Baltar Indeed. with some counsel from Lee by the look of it towards the end of this episode so that's going to be interesting to talk about as well but but that's the entire setup but what we need to do is we need to get to a lot of these discussions between Lampkin and Lee and Lampkin and Baltar. Indeed, that's the good stuff. So Lee has this way about him in this episode. He, how would you describe Lee's performance? How would you describe Bamber's performance in this? How would you describe the Lee, the Lee character in his demeanor as of this episode, especially when he's assigned as security, pulled off a cap, by the way. Right, right. Honestly, dude, also, I feel like this is... <laughs> go ahead, huh? no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to... Do you mind if I interject real quick and then you can get to that question? Do it. Side tangent. Uh, is Hilo just not getting shit on? You're CAG. You're not CAG. You're CAG. You're not CAG. It depends how my little baby wavy boy's doing that day. Like, come on, man. Fucking Hilo always know. getting the short end of the stick. Oh, How's my it? little guy feeling? All right, Hilo, get back to work, you piece of shit. Cover for him. <laughs> How you doing, son? Do you got a tummy ache from the doctor? Do you got a note? All right, you got a note from the doctor. Hilo, you're CAG. Oh, never mind. He's feeling better. He threw up. He feels a lot better. Hilo, you're out of CAG. Stand down from that podium, you pile of dog shit. <laughs> it's ridiculous, dude. Just terrible to Hilo for no reason at all. Yeah. So unfair. But no, honestly, this has been one of my favorite Lee Adama episodes in quite a while. Uh, I know we were each kind of expressing annoyance at the uh, the amount of love triangle, tri- rectangle time we were getting and how shitty he was being to Dean. It was just starting to get annoying and he was just a whiny shit. Honestly, I feel, I'm hoping that this is this is Lee getting back to his roots of being the the kind of principled idealist in a way like i'm kind of enjoying see that seeing that bubble back up with lee again race like no i'm gonna i'm gonna get back into this arena of of standing up for the the accused and and getting out the truth that that seems to be what's rising up to the surface for him uh at first it's very much i'm just on this duty to protect you that's it i don't care um but i like how by the end of the episode he's essentially demanding to be a part of the trial to be a part of baltar's defense and get to the truth Right. I, I felt really like cool. he was kind of sleepwalking a lot. I, I, I don't... In this it, episode? In the beginning. He he seems yeah. very disinterested in the security detail. Well, that I think that's intentional. I think that is I supposed agree. to be him. And, and I think, you know, it's his father who bullseyes it and spots it, or he's like, your head is not on right yet. Like, you 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 shouldn't be CAG right now. You shouldn't be up in the air. You know, I'm going right. to put you on this other detail, honestly, to give you something sort of safer to do. Absolutely. Um, but I... And I, yeah, and I think... What I think, what I like about this episode, what I like, I think what it teases out about the possibility for Lee is him finding purpose again through law and defense. And like, we're, we're seeing that his interest in law and being a lawyer is starting to be resurrected. Um, and I'm interested in that, man. I want to see kind of, I want to see Lee go down this path and be fiery and passionate about it again. That's, that's, those are the episodes where I liked Lee the most, where he's the guy who fucking 
mutinies, you know? Like he takes it to the extreme. He's done it that so is, many times. He's done it so many times. And if you, even if you find him annoying, you got to give it to him. He will put it all on the line if he believes in something. And that's something I've always liked about Lee. And I feel like that's a quality that's kind of faded to the background in a lot of episodes. And he's just kind of been like, I'm the fucking hamstringed guy in love. And I don't know what to do. Aw, shucks. Kicking rocks. I agree. And I'm like, I'm fucking tired of that. <laughs> Let's yep. move I, on. I, I, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I think Apollo is best served when he is being a CAG. Dude, give he, him a banner to run with. Like, that's what he fucking does. Exactly. He's, he's of no interest to me when he is, you know, in a love triangle, that's just boring to me. And, and boring, it's, yeah. And in, in, they don't do him much justice. We've ragged on Apollo in the past as a result of the way he's handled that and his behavior. But he's always he's always had interesting moments in the show when he's done things like you're describing, which is pulling right. a gun and stick it in and tie his neck and. He's always he's going always against his father more than right. once. Yeah, he's always had an extremely admirable determination. That that's like one of the most intriguing parts of his character. That if he believes in something, he will put his own life on the line for it. Which is funny because this is the same thing we've talked about in regards to Hilo many times. It just seems right. that Hilo picks more unpopular things to rally behind. <laughs> he sure does. Oh, poor Hilo. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I think. I think what we should do to, to kind of break into all, all the Lampkin stuff, because really the Lampkin stuff is the thrust of the episode. It's that and the Adama stuff. Why don't we just talk about Lee and Adama in this? In this, and t- tell me about tell me about their interactions. Tell me about just give it to me, baby. <laughs> as far as him being put on the uh, the duty, yeah. Just talk about their dynamic in this episode. What do you think of of this father and son coping? Uh, they have, I believe, I want to say, I wrote them down. They have one, two. Three scenes, basically. The first scene right. is he's pulled from CAG duty and placed on security. Um, the second one is Adam is mad at Lee, and uh, he says, "You know, you could have died." He's got that reaction going, and so you've been in two weeks, you know, trial. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and so are you. And then the third one, that's when Lee, after much discussion from Lampkin, decides that he wants to help right with a trial. And well, dude, I, boy, I, I, <laughs> daddy don't like that. No, he does not. Um, but no, dude, I, I love this this first scene when he is getting pulled from duty. And at first, Adama is trying, you know, Admiral Adama is trying to be a little sensitive about it, a little gentle with him, where he's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have you in charge of the security. This is, you know, this is essentially your I new role you. for, yeah, I need you. I need your expertise here. And he's like, ah, just say it. You're pulling me. You're pulling me from CAG. You don't think I can, you know, do it or I'm fit for it. Uh, and he's like, no, I just want you on this ship. I want you here. But at the same time, he, I like that Admiral is the one who admits, look, I'm not okay. Like, I know you're not okay because yes. I'm not okay. And that's, dude, that's some, uh, that's older dude strength right there. Like, Lee is trying to, like, bluster his way through it and be like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to, like, keep pushing around, push forward. Uh, but he's obviously not. Like you were saying, I think that was a perfect way of putting it, that he's kind of sleepwalking. Like, he's, he's doing it, but he's mostly just going through the motions of being CAG and being, you know, awake and alive for duty. And he's obviously not all there. He's not fully checked in. And, you know, his own father can see it very easily. And Lee accepts it here, but you can tell kind of begrudgingly, like not ready for a fight with his dad yet. He's just like, okay, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll do that. Right. That's it. And right. you can tell, you know, that daddy knows a lot more is going on. He's just not ready to admit it and come out yet. Right. And their second discussion comes right after the failed assassination attempt. Thank God for Chief Tyrrell. Right. 
looking for that in Adama, dumb cat of lampkins. Right. In, in Adama, oh boy, he's coming in hot. Yeah. Because he's had another death on his hands. You know, I mean, he, he lost Starbuck two weeks ago, the person he considered his daughter. And he's like, you could have died. You need to start acting like a soldier. You need to get your head in the game. That's what you're doing here. And dude, that moment where he's like, oh, I didn't know that we were on a, a time clock. We were only two weeks out from Kara's death. And that's when Adama is like, are you trying to quantify my loss? Are you trying to say it runs deeper than mine? Like it's a competition of grieving and he just fucking loses it. Right. And I don't blame him, man. Right. There was, um, there was a, a listener comment this week that touches upon that very discussion. And um, I'm going to pull it up. Give me a second here. It mm-hmm. is from, they talk about the loss, the quantification. Is it Julie? Is that the one where they talk about the quantification of loss? I don't think so. Mm. Um, I believe it's Callum Banbury. The argument between Lee and his father I found compelling. This is from Callum Banbury. Callum, excuse me. Uh, though the Admiral's stubbornness was hard to watch, the line, don't you dare quantify my loss, I found interesting because it sounds like Adama is discounting his son's feelings simply because he also has a close relationship with Kara. What do you think of that? Mm. In other words, he's saying is, it sounds like he's basically saying he's being a bit hypocritical because isn't he also quantifying Lee's loss by suggesting? By comparing them. Sure. Right. Like, did Lee ever compare them? Mm, that's a good point. That is actually a good point. I he, do, he just says, I didn't realize there was a clock running. You know, that's. Right. And, and Lee is, of course, the one who frames it that way and brings it up that way. He says, well, yeah, um, maybe we're built differently. <laughs> right, right. That you're able to just move past it or whatever. Um, but no, I mean, I right to be because honest, because what Adam is doing is assumingly has, but we don't know that. Well, I guess Adam is not saying that because I guess no. he explicitly doesn't think he has, like you pointed out. Right, right. And I, and I think what Lee is saying is that oh, you're ready to just move past it. Um, you know that that you're you're built differently than me or whatever. Yeah, get your head in the game, shit. Yeah. Right, right. And I, to be honest, I side a little more with the admiral here because I think I think he's right. He. Lee doesn't quite say it, but he pulls it out of Lee that you're trying to say that I don't care as much because I'm more focused on the job at hand, that I'm ready to, to keep marching forward. Um, and he's like, that's basically just saying, that's not it. Like, I, I'm suffering as much as you. I'm in grieving as much as you are. That's, you know, that our relationship is just as painful. Like, don't forget that other people are in pain about this, um, but we're still doing our job. And, and basically saying, you're not, you're not performing. Right. And at the end of the day, I mean, I think he's right. Callum goes on by saying, I get what Adam is saying, that he loved Kara too, but is managing to soldier on despite his grief. In saying this, though, he's giving Lee completely the wrong message, as he's basically giving Lee the same crappy your soft pep talk we saw at the start of the season, when what he really needs is an opportunity to work through his grief with his father. (laughs) Come on, dog. But you know, you the know, military fucking, baby. Come on, Callum. <laughs> shit, you know, Bill ain't gonna fucking do that high, shit. He's saying high school doggy, dude. The amount no, of I'm whiskey these two would have to drink I'm to just, get honest <laughs> about their feelings, they might die. I'm just fucking with Callum. <laughs> I, I get what he's saying. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's good. So are you? Well, he lays into him, dude. Yeah, that trial is happening in two weeks. Right. Ugh. And he tells him that you protect his ass. You do your job. Don't yep. let it get that close again. Absolutely. So I like the discussion between Lee, Roslyn, and Adama because now you oh you start to see Lee is starting to say shit like, oh, so, well, this needs to be fair. So I don't want him in a room where the conversation can be monitored. 
Right. With the retort to that, Adama says, oh, but it is the same condition. You're mistaken, Major, because I already monitored the previous conversation, so I have to, by right, monitor yours. You don't get to have the privacy. conversation. Yeah. Right, the privacy. Mm-hmm. I don't completely understand that. I feel like that's just kind of tossed in there for conflict. A little bit, yeah, because I'm feeling like, oh, so <laughs> two conflicts of interest make it right? Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> a little bit, it's a little, a little bit off. But I, I mean, I understand what it means, but I, but it's almost like, what do you mean? You can't, how can these people not have private conversations outside of the heads of state listening in on their conversations? That's, right. that's the part I didn't understand. I understand that yeah. you have to be consistent if you're going to fucking snoop on one person, you have to snoop on the other person. I get that, but I don't get the, the snooping in general. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I'm like, that's still, regardless of how you phrase it, I'm like, wow, we already did it once. We got to do it again to be fair. I'm like, you shouldn't have done it once. <laughs> you kind of, you, you kind of shouldn't have done it at all. Absolutely. But okay. Yeah. But, but man, this Lee, this Lee Adama conflict, it's again, like we said, it's not, it's just nothing new. The whole, their whole relationship was built on this. And then you and I were talking about how they seemed fine. And then they almost started to layer in phony like a phony conflict with them again, but this seems much more real to me because it's over something that you could see them having a bit of tip, a bit of a tiff about. But in, right. into, into Callum's point, you know, it would make sense. You're his dad. Maybe, I mean, console him a little bit. It's your son, right? Yeah, you can, you do kind of get the feeling that they have, and they've yet to have a single actual conversation about it. Right. Absolutely. But uh, let's get to some of this stuff with our boy. Goes to see. Uh, we 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 kind of glazed over, and I don't want to the discussion between Baltar and Lampkin, the first one, which Ooh, leads yeah. to him going to C six, which we'll talk about next. Indeed, because essentially the, the the main gist of their conversation is he's basically like, well, what are you worried about, Gaius? You know, what do you think? What do you think is the most dangerous thing to get you? And he's saying it's six. I'm. I. We need to Crazy. know where she stands because it's her testimony. It's her papers that they're going to use to destroy me. Uh, and he's. Like, I just tell her that I love her very much. Right. Even before that moment in this. In this. Talk to me about him coming in and immediately writing. You, you would almost think is Gaius full of shit, but he seems quite taken with this writing thing. He seems very passionate about it. Right, right. And I mean, he's, he's immediate. The first thing he asked for is, do papers, do you have any papers? And they hand him some and he pulls out his hidden secret pen and just gets to writing. Like, obviously words he'd had floating around in his head and he just wants to set them down. What do you think so about he, that? We know what Lampkin thinks. He thinks that your manifesto shows a great change in you or something like that. Right. He thinks it's good. He thinks get, that writing getting out is good for, you know, public opinion of him. Right. Right, And I think, you know, it's interesting because it does make me think that Gaius is legitimately passionate about it, you know, beyond just him altering his own, you know, appearance. But I do think that at the end of the day, that's a big chunk of it. Of course it is. I think as much as I'm a Gaius defender, because I think he's good for the show, I also (laughs) am very, I'm very quick to admit this is all, sadly, this is very much driven by some egotistical thing, this these writings and let them think, letting them slip out to the public and and yay is me and admire me kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. I think so much. I think if you want to get really cute, philosophically speaking, I think most of what we do is egotistical. It's just some have more limelight than others, right? <laughs> That's true. I guess what I'm saying is we're all pieces of shit and Altrum doesn't exist. Unless your name is Jesus. <laughs> okay, easy Ayn Rand. Jesus. Unless your name's Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
but no, I do. I I love their interactions here uh, of of him also exposing that. Yeah, I've been reading your work. Like he quotes. He quotes from his own book, My Triumphs, My Failures. Uh, and he's like, oh, you, you've read it. And he's like, yeah, you better get to reading too. You better get to reading all of her papers. I think that, that's what he's referring to, right? About Six's papers? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that she's been writing about him as well. Right. I think he's just saying, hey, I've done my reading. One of the, once those papers arrive, I suggest you do yours. Mm-hmm. The get paper. prepared. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The papers they're trying to get. Gotta get the papers, get the papers. We know that papers are being delayed. Right, being held up by, oh, we just can't find them. Bureaucracy. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, oh, how the levers of bureaucracy slow when it seems to work in their favor. Right, yeah. That's what's funny about this episode. That's, again, it's the, it's the, the adversaries have control of the information. It doesn't seem like a, uh, it doesn't seem like a well-balanced system, does it? Doesn't seem uh, particularly fair. But uh, yeah, he just says, take me to Colonial One and uh, listen, I need you to take me out there, baby. <laughs> and that's when he gets under Lee's skin a little and he's like, ah, oh, good to know, uh, good to know you and see, are, dude, that, uh, you're still alive. This is such a great moment as, as far as showing how Lampkin's perception of people and how deep it goes. Because he's saying, you know, well, with you walking around and everybody looking at you all weird. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, everybody's looking at you like you're bleeding out of your damn side. Like you're Everybody's a sad looking boy at you like, float for the bereaved. Like you're all short to death and dying. <laughs> all short to hell and dying. <laughs> oh, so Irish. Yeah. But he gets immediately under Lee's skin there. That he's but but he basically is saying that everybody can tell how fucking pathetic you are now, how messed up, how you are not working through this well at all. It's obvious. Absolutely. But, um, you know, after the failed assassination attempt and the kick in the ass by daddy, he tells this guy, listen, if anything in your room changes, any of this shit, you pay attention. Something smells different, get out. Somebody knocks, don't answer. I mean, he is motivated. Yeah, yeah. I like this side of Lee again, man. I'm telling you. He's like, if a book in here moves, if anything changes, you get the fuck out of here. I I like Lampkin just telling him if they want to kill me, they will. He has a fatalistic way about him at times, right? Right. I love it. I just love it. So, so realist. So Irish. Right. Death will come to me, darling. Yeah, I gotta stop that. When it's time for the Lord to punch me ticket, ain't nothing (laughs) you or your fancy fucking security is going to do anything about it. Just just let me Uh, go sing a fucking song about me. That's what we Irish are good at dancing and dying. Dancing and dying and fighting. Fighting. <clears throat> Waving flags, bayonet in English. That's it. Beautiful. Yeah. That's our ballad of Lampkin. <laughs> <laughs> the charming, weird troll with two wisps of hair. Love him. Talk to me about this uh, discussion with him and sit with uh, him and six. Dude, this is, this is the real mystery shit. This is the stuff where I'm like, boy. What is up with Lampkin? Because he, he starts off real soft, real softball. I understand you had a romantic relationship with my client. And that's all he really needed to say to get her talking. Oh, boy, and, and she comes with a venom. Dude, opening up. Oh, he spent his time you know, working out of mendacity and deception. He's narcissistic, feckless, and vain. I'm the one who should have stabbed him. I had to I, look up mendacity. I didn't know what it meant. And, what, what do you remember what it says? Because <laughs> Unch- I'm a little vague. Un- untruthful. That's kind of what I was thinking. I was just like, eh, yeah. fancy dishonesty word, basically, yeah, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, and that this his 
approach from that point on is so unexpected and so interesting where her, his response to that is just, huh, precocious evolutionary move, fashioning Cylons to fall in love, to be capable of experiencing That's, that's love, lady, love. <laughs> Give him more of the O in that love. <laughs> they are in and out. <laughs> but dude, I, I think it's kind of brilliant because he, he dives right into what she's obviously hurt by. He's like, he, he's like, it's not for the faint of heart, it is it? You know, talking about the experience of love and being hurt by somebody you loved. And, right. and that's how it happens to all of us. Like, in, in the space of about two minutes, he bridges the whole divide between humans and Cylons as far as the experience of love and emotional pain. Like, right, he's right, just because like, he's, a, he's applying them equally to both, although questioning it a little bit from the Cylon perspective. But yeah, he's... He's taking a common, he's taking that which is obvious at, at the outset and, uh, and, and just going forward as if it is the truth. Like, well, you're hurt. I understand hurt. I've been hurt. He's hurt, right? Right, right. But and I like dude, this what stuff. A, yeah, this is good shit, man. Go ahead. I was going to say, what a story he tells. And it's so interesting the way, the way he talks about his wife and, and the fact that he focuses on getting over her, that he could endure the pain of getting over her and, and moving on her, moving beyond her. Uh, and re- made, that's what basically made him realize how intense the love was and sure. how he needed so much strength to get you know, through that, reminded him how much he cared about her, you know, focusing on her like that. And immediately, Six replies with, well, did he say anything about me? God, uh, like, God she's so adorable. Just, right? He just gets straight down. Like, he, like, drove a nail through all of her, like, you know, defenses and layers or straight down to, yeah, you still love him. Like, you're still, you are still hurt by him this much that you would come right out with that, that you still care about him. Right. Very much. Right. That's what I was, that's what I was going to say. There's, if she would have reacted flippantly in, in, or even indifferently, then this strategy fails utterly. But right. the way she comes at him, opening salvo, both barrels, whatever, however you want to say it, and that gave him everything he needed to know. Like, okay, this person's hurt, clearly. Now how can right. I apply this? He's just extremely perceptive. Exactly, despite having the shades on. <laughs> and that's, dude, what a moment. And it's such, it's so cool that this is something that I guess Mark Shepard probably chose to have the glasses to take them off and, you know, signal this closeness that he has. We're like, he's not blind, I guess. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay. Also, dude, the way the camera focused on the glasses and hid his eyes, like, in a little bit longer, and it even cuts back to Six's face, and she's kind of, like, wide-eyed staring at him now, and I'm like, is he just, like, wildly disfigured? Like, like, it's going to come back, and he's got, like, a single eye, or, like, they're all cut out or something. I'm like, is it going to be gross? What is this? But no, he's just got his eyes, you know. Out. Right. <laughs> That's it. And but, it should yeah. be noted that he, he's, you know, what he's telling her was not exactly what Guy said. Guy's first concern was she's the key. She right. can, she's I'm threat- concerned about her. Right. If he feels threatened, he's going to survive at all costs. And um, he, then, he then sort of, as a footnote, said, well, I care about her and how she's well. Right. He added that after the fact because guys can pick up on the what he's saying here is probably not going to be received well. <laughs> right. Sounds a little desperate, <laughs> uncaring. Yeah. But dude, what a, what a move to essentially lie on the part of Gaius and, and give her this gift of the pin, the only pin that Gaius had. And you know, that he was under great risk for having it at all. And he knew he would never get one again, but he wants to give it to you. Uh, essentially as this kind of like token of I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Mm-hmm. And, 
Dude, then, she's dude, like I was Asian. saying, on my first view, I thought he started to speak with like double speak. He's like, because without you, he, it has no meaning, the message. And like, uh, almost like a wink, wink, you should kill yourself and resurrect again as a Cylon. Like, get out of here. Like, I, I really thought it was like some weird subtext like that. Uh, and it threw me, man. It threw me hard on my first watch. I was like, I don't know what this guy is trying to get done here. Um, but now, I mean, I, I think I've come back to just, no, he's trying to, to get her on board, not sabotaging or making it Correct. worse for, ba- for Baltar. Right. I, I think what he's trying to do, I, I think his entire, I think what he's, his plan is in this interaction is gauge how she feels. Once he determines how she feels, which is, she's very hurt by him, which means there's still a lot of emotion there is to then help her realize that he still cares deeply about her. Right. Give her the pen, weave the story, fluff it up a little bit. When she rescinds the pen, he's like, oh shit. And that's when he gets into the, he, he, he sort of backpedals a little bit and he gets into the harsh reality of the situation she finds herself in, which is essentially him saying, it, it's possible this doesn't go well for you in, no matter what you do. In other words, no matter what you tell them, they might still throw you out of a fucking airlock. So don't tell them anything if you've ever right. cared about this man. You are you are enemy combatant Cylon. They're, you're not getting a fair trial, right? So if they're gonna toss you out of an airlock anyway, and if you and you and you ever love this guy, don't betray him. It's essentially that's the that's the much less poetic version of what is going on here, right? And dude, another it's another quick moment from from Rosalind, but I like just how perceptive <laughs> Rosalind is as well. I like that reminder. She's like, I have a feeling a big part of our world just fell down. Right. Right. Here. She sees it She coming. gets it. She knows that now Six is not going to budge to betray Baltar. Because there are only two eyewitnesses. Do you mm-hmm. know who they are? You do. Think about it. Well, it would be Six. And? Baltar. Nope. He's right. not a, he can't be a witness in his own trial. Well, that's true. Um, then I guess shit would be Gata. Yes. That's it. Uh, what Damn. will become of Gata, Mr. Anderson? Ooh, he's going to be... Talk about key witnesses. Dude, he's going to be the most hot witness about town. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to want a piece of Gata. <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> the fucking... The Galactica tabloids are all over his ass. Fucking Gata, more like Cato. Fucking star witness Cato. OJ trial? No. Went right over your head. Womp, womp. <laughs> Cato, man. He's a fucking <laughs> nah, celebrity witness. Nah, some other, some fuck gets it. Yeah. Anybody. He, he gave one guy a chuckle, Dean. It's fine. Yeah, right. Just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> anybody born before 1982 got that one. <laughs> Any Anybody who wasn't playing with their own poop during the OJ trial got that one. <laughs> I remember the Bronco and a lot of people being upset on TV for a long time. No, you don't. You lie. You saw that later, years later. Yeah, exactly. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Cato, baby. Come on. No? <laughs> Right. <laughs> Try again. Star <laughs> witness. Do better. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck. No. That one's for the people in the chief seat. That's for the old people, I guess. They're all going to be mad at you for mocking them, by the way. I know. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. They're all going to die soon. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll bring flowers to your funeral. It's fine. <laughs> Hey, but but it was 97. I do have vague memories of that. You know what the Very. truth of the matter is? You probably be you I was thinking when I said Cato, you probably thought Bruce Lee. I actually did. I, knew I was it. like, are I you talking about his it. green his green hornet character? I what? knew it. I knew you were thinking that. <laughs> it's I'm even older than these That's fucking what I mean. Fun. That's older. That's even a more old school. <laughs> but you'd have to be a Bruce Lee fan to know that one. 
That's true. Yeah. Love my boy. Absolutely. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> Kato puts his glasses back on and we get out of this scene. <laughs> Kato. They all go and then he karate chops the table in half. Yeah. <laughs> the old green horn strikes again. <laughs> God damn it. We're off. We're off. Stay on target. Oh, man. You know, Quentin Tarantino needs to make a movie, a revisionist history movie, where, where Bruce Lee goes and kicks David Carradine's head off and gets his roll back on Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> so people can stop getting mad that he made it a goof on Bruce Lee, who he loves, by the way. Who he adores. You fucking morons. Let it go. All right. Silly. So Cato. Sorry. <laughs> Why are we calling Lampkin. everybody Cato? Gata is Cato. Lampkin. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But dude, I love I love this moment when when uh Lampkin and Lee sit down and he's like, So why did you take his pen? and pretend it was a gift to six. And also, why encourage him to write if you're going to take away his damn pen? And his immediate <laughs> response, I love it. Like, He'll carry more sympathy now that he's been silenced. You know, gag orders, tyranny, very sexy. It's awesome. It's <laughs> great. So good. Like, God, I love this guy. I love him like I love Zarek, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like, ah, you're kind of a slimy fuck, but God, you're smart and you're right. <laughs> and they're interesting. That's what I'm saying, right? They have personality outside of the demands of the fleet or the Cylons. That's why I exactly. always like fringe characters. I love fringe characters in the Star Wars universe. Give me the Boba Fetts. Give me the smugglers. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the plucky pilot. And uh, I mean, I guess I care about the cool Darth Vader's, but I just like that fringe. I like that they're not on either team. And that's just interesting to me. It's a, it's a rich environment for storytelling. Hell and, yeah. and the odds are always against them, right? <laughs> that's right. They're always the underdog. Mm, yep. The horror of the age, the great ugly material, the cloak of deceit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck truth oh, is overrated man. you're starting to get it now Lee <laughs> and make- essentially here he just comes down to the fact that like I do this because I try to figure out what makes people do what they do and he's like he tells me he's like that's what your grandfather did that's mm-hmm. why he you know as much as I hated him that's what he likes about him that you know <laughs> Joe Joe Adama the the esteemed lawyer of the Adama family that's what he did. He stayed down with the fallen, trying to figure out why it was people do the the obscene things they do, and trying to understand humanity better. Right, and 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 because of that, putting himself in the crossfire because he's helping murderers. <laughs> right, Making, defending them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he's a regular old Johnny Cochran. All right, all right. Um, no more Simpsons stuff. Sorry, no, OJ Simpson, not the Simpsons. The murders, bing, bing, bing. But uh, he, um, I, so is this the stuff that confuses you a little bit? Because you said he, you are kind of confused by him. What specifically? Right. Specifically, just his his strategy for for defending Gaius. Because I mean, like, I get you know, it took me a second watch, but it, I understand how he was essentially neutralizing the possibility of Caprica Six. You know, going at a hard yep. testimony against him for sure, but. From here forward, like even Lee says at the end of, at the end of the episode, he's like, "I understand, you know, uh, Lampkin's you know strategy, and I want to help him." And I'm like, "I don't think I understand Lampkin's strategy," um, because he he talks here about having you know essentially compassion for the fallen and, and at least compassion for people's desperate choices. And he talks about you know your father or your grandfather cared about why people with one act of forgiveness and one stupid little act of compassion could you know ruin their whole lives and and you know we're flawed all of us. And I'm like, that's that's amazing and interesting. And it makes me think about Lampkin's interest in this case is in trying to understand Baltar, 
I think is a big part of it. But also, I'm still scratching my head as to, well, what is your strategy for defending Baltar, though? Like, I don't know how any of this helps in getting him off. Right. There's the, there's the what, is your, what is your legal strategy come trial, right? Right. Like, I, I'm seeing his philosophy. It's starting to make right. more sense there's to me. Like the, his, there's, there's two different things going on here. That's right. the other thing I was going to say. There's his worldview, I'm starting to understand. But his, his approach to the actual Baltar case, I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> right. Well, he's... He's he's doing the only thing he can do, which is he's going after key witnesses. That's the first thing he's doing. And then the second thing he's doing is he's undermining people with this weird kleptomania thing where right. he's he's making people uncomfortable. A button off of a jacket is going to make a guy like Adama be like, what the fuck? Like, that's distracting. Missing your glasses. That's, <laughs> that's the a good str- point. It is, it, it is such a weird, it's like this, it's the equivalent of like, you know, you're getting in a fight with somebody and somebody just pulls out sand from their pocket and throws it in your eyes. Like, oh shit, what? It's fucking, uh, I'm just kind of like off guard a little bit now. Or, or it'd be like getting in a fight with somebody and they just take their pants off and they're like, let's go. I just don't want to fight. <laughs> they like, just push one ball out to their zipper. And like, let's go. Let's fight. And you're like, wait, what? That's weird. It's kind of just, just looking at me. I don't think I want to do this anymore. <laughs> just hanging one brain. Okay. Uh, I guess we're in a fist fight. <laughs> but um, his his philosophy, I want to talk about a little bit more. It seems like he's, he, he, he spins it as an act of compassion and how we're all a bit flawed. Right. We're all a bit corrupt. We're all a bit damaged, much like the clients we represent. Which is funny because it's that's an interesting take. It's very it's very sort of morally relativistic. Mm, right. Most, I, I don't want to say most, but let's just say the tropey, prosecutor outside of the hard ass that just or defender excuse me the tropey defender is somebody who is just saying no i'm interested in the like you said the importance of a fair trial and for somebody to be properly represented to ensure that our justice system is uh, you know stays as good as it can and isn't just a mockery like that that's very important that we don't just have show trials there has right. to be An integrity to them there has to be integrity. Thank you. That's the word I'm fucking desperately grasping at. <laughs> and there are varying degrees of that integrity, if any, at times. But I think that's typically the answer. It's not usually, well, I know that I have some flaws. So this guy who is a serial rapist also has some flaws. Like that seems like a weird parallel to draw. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like from a philosophical standpoint, I don't quite understand what Lampkin's saying. Because I don't know the type of people he's defended in the past, but it's it's borderline absurd, and I know I'm being judgmental here, but it's borderline absurd to say like, well, I do it because I know I'm flawed, just like the serial rapist is flawed. And I know he didn't say that explicitly, but in in his statement sort of bears the same logic, right? Right. I mean, I think that's that is what he's getting at of trying to understand somebody who makes almost the worst kind of decisions and is, is broken in the worst kind of way. It makes now, the, it brings the absolute most atrocious behavior out of them. Now I'm not he, a lawyer, so drink. Right. But I do want to <laughs> yeah. say you don't really want to know. I don't think a lawyer, I don't think if you are trying to defend somebody that you're truly trying to understand why they do what they do. That's more of a psychologist's job. Your job is to make sure they don't get tried, that they are found not guilty. So you don't care what they think or feel. You just care about the facts, right? Right. Why do you want to know what makes somebody tick? Because what if they're like, well, I just love killing kids. That doesn't, that's a terrible philosophy. That's going to kill your case. Because if you go into trial thinking, oh, I know how this maniac thinks, nobody's going to give a fuck. All they care about is the evidence. Right. Like, right. oh no, he, he feels great pleasure and he's very calm. And um, it makes the demons in his head stop when he stabs children. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> not guilty. Not guilty. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> never going to happen. It's all about the evidence. That's why I'm saying maybe yeah. the interest is in understanding them. But I think if you spend your time as a lawyer trying to understand why somebody does something and not leaving that to the criminal psychologists and the criminologists, that you're probably not going to make a great lawyer, a trial lawyer. But I don't right. really know that if that's true. I'm just speculating. Well, no, but I mean, that's part of what confuses me about his character is that right. he seems to have this personal curiosity and interest in an understanding Baltar and maybe even understanding Cylons better. Like he's just got some like curiosity about the whole case, but I, I can't really suss out what his actual legal strategy is. And it you seems know, like he doesn't he inspire has. a lot of confidence, does he? In a, in a way, he, yeah. Like it makes uh, me just wonder. You know what? I'm, 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 I've come around on Lampkin. He's, he's garbage. He's a fucking <laughs> turn the corner. Yeah, he's a two bit Mick with fucking aces up his sleeve. That's all Yikes. he's got. Oh, our our boy, our new favorite. <laughs> you just trash him so hard. Where's the loyalty? <laughs> I sussed him out. It took a little while, but I thought about it, and now I just think he's doing parlor tricks. He's fucking the David Copperfield of the trial. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> he's just the fucking pickpocket. Is what it really is. Yeah. He's just a pickpocket piece of shit. He looks like he is about 12 inches and 10 years away from being somebody in Oliver Twist. I was about to say, yeah, he's just the fucking old artful dodger. Mm. Oh, just you know, come in here, pretend I'm a fucking, <laughs> pretend I'm a liar to get close. It was tough growing up in the Whitechapel district, cutting purses. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> uh, but now I'm defending public enemy number one somehow oh because they blew up all the other qualified people cotton purses taking gold doubloons out of people's pockets running from jack the ripper i'm five hundred thousand years old actually by the way <laughs> yeah you wouldn't know it because i haven't turned into what looks like an old baby the path of all irishmen to look like old babies <laughs> <laughs> just a big or drunk baby they look like either old babies or a witch <laughs> a comedian said that and i wish i knew who and i'm and i'm and i'm admitting it that it's not my joke but i heard that once all irish people end up looking like a witch or an old baby <laughs> bill, burr, bill burr by- said it but he attributed it to the actual comedian and i think i heard bill burr say it in a podcast <laughs> or something they turn into big old babies and they get punched by Conor McGregor in a bar. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're not going to drink my fucking whiskey. Hot, 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 hot. Well, um, things get crazy for Mr. Lampkin, don't they? Dude, almost gets got. Got to give it to that Marine. Pretty fucking eagle-eyed to realize, uh, you know, I, I really love the tension in that moment when yeah, they it's good. have the big box of files and, and the, Marines, the, the Marine's fucking on guard. He's like, put that down. <laughs> put it on the floor. We're going to take a look through it. You know, they, they are pretty tight on security there, but he notices that screw on the floor right as Lampkin starts punching in the code to his, you know, keypad on the door and shoves him out of the way just in time. They don't really address it, but it looks like that Marine got killed. I yeah, mean, he takes the brunt of the explosion. They don't address a couple things, which is that a one bit bugged frustrating. Me. I was like, shit, like, is that guy okay? Like that, and what are we going to do? Is Kelly arrested? Like, what are we going to do? A trial for Kelly? We're going to do a sub-trial? We've got two trials that day? <laughs> he's like, ah, he's just going to sit in a cell for a, until this trial's over. Yeah. No right to a speedy trial in the galactic universe. Nope. Logs of <laughs> just, the, 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 the wheels of justice turn slow, Matthew. Even <laughs> on the Galactica. Chug very slow. But this is what leads to the discussion of the things he has stolen, which Lee actually is, seems like he finds kind of funny. And then they come across <laughs> right. the part which leads them directly to Kelly, which seems like 
a bit of a writing stretch as far as I can see, but it's fine. <laughs> right. But it, yeah, he, cause he finds what it's like a magnetic piece that it was on one of the first bombs. Correct. Yep. We saw that same disc. <laughs> That's it. That leads him there. Yep. But it, it honestly, I mean, there's something interesting about this scene where he's talking to, to Lampkin and discovering how he's essentially a fucking kleptomaniac stealing everything. <laughs> Um, and how he chose not to steal from Lee, you know, because he, what he was going to steal from him is the picture of that pilot, Starbuck. And he's like, you've been stolen from enough already. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, but it does seem like part of his stealing is in trying to understand people. I mean, obviously he uses it. Like we see him use the stealing of Gaius's pen to, to manipulate Six um, and to you know, inflate the image of Gaius. But at the same time, it seems like, you know, the way he, he talks about the other, the prosecutor's flip-flop, he's like, oh, yeah, I see she drags her feet. Like, he's like, he, he's gathering evidence on people, in a sense. Word. It's weird. It's weird, but I, I do find it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think it's sniff that flip-flop until you're out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great stuff. Oh. <sighs> just half right where the arch would be. Oh, oh that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a fucking filthy pervert. Smells like honey made by the most sprightly of forest fairies. <laughs> just pre- just flattens his tongue on it and just drags it up the whole length of it. You're like, like oh, the- fuck, Lampy, you're just disgusting, actually. <laughs> like the orderly in T2 licking Sarah Connor's face. <laughs> <laughs> Until he gets his nose pushed in. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. But uh, this uh, essentially lead. I mean... You know, we see the end of the episode, which is um, him fighting with dad that last time where he's like, I'm going to represent him, dad, which we <laughs> do what I want, dad. Yeah. Take me through this, which essentially gets us to the end of the episode here. <laughs> you know, and I think what this really comes down to is it, because Lee even calls him out here. He's like, you gave me those books. You gave me your father's law books. What were you trying to accomplish with that? You know, I thought you were trying to push me in a direction. And to be honest, the most surprising exchange in this whole scene to me was when a, the admiral is just like, I made a mistake. I was very surprised by that. I did me not too. expect I love him. It. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I did not expect him to say that. And this is one of the times where I'm, I'm pretty much on the side of Lee in this scene where I, I, I think what happened is Adama, Admiral Adama, I always hate when it's the two of them together and I can't just say Adama. Anyway. I just say Ad- Lee and Adama. We've always, we've never really called Lee Adama. Not really. Not, we've never, um, he's never gone by his last name. It's either Lee or Apollo. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, Adama goes, you know, well, you're, you're a pilot. I need you. I need you up there as, as CAG, which is so funny because it's the exact opposite of, of what he said at the start of the episode. I need you here on the ship. I need you here. And we realize that he's placing him where he's comfortable with him in that moment, in that time. And when he realizes that you're getting too close to this case and I, you know, I'm going to be one of essentially one of the judges. I think what really is going on is that Adama is trying to put him back in another place that's more comfortable. I want you out, not involved in this trial, not involved in the security or being around Lampkin or Baltar. I just want you away safe in a little box doing the thing I know you're good at and get out of here. And, uh, you know, Lee pushes back or he's like, no, you, you wanted me to go down this path and I'm, and I'm doing it. Like I'm, I, I'm feel passionate about this. Lee, do you know how many colonial credits a white son is worth? Don't do this to me, Lee. I need my white son. <laughs> you look really good on my arms and photo ops. How do you think I got this position? <laughs> Bunch of fucking racists. Got a, got a fucking hopscotch off you, boy. Yeah. I built my whole career on your baby blue white man's eyes. <laughs> 
Don't take this away from me now, Lee. Your milk toast fucking bitch attitude. Well, he's uh he's gonna But dude, I find it really interesting how when he presses him further, when Lee presses him further, saying, Is that an order? Right. Uh, Adama doesn't make it an order. He said, I'm through giving you orders. And that that feels like the biggest like concession in this whole exchange where he, he is basically saying I will let you do this. Like I, I won't fight you on doing this, but I, I'm still wanting to make sure you understand that I don't agree. <laughs> I don't want you to. But he lets him. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool. Yep. And then they go to the nine eleven hall and Anders <laughs> and um and our boy are hanging out. Good old Anders. I love him. <sighs> Dude, I actually really like this moment too between between Lee and Anders because of all people, this is it is interesting that these would be the two who would come together in mourning Starbuck. Like they're the people who did know her the best and were mm-hmm. closest to her outside of you know Admiral Adama. Like these are the two closest guys, and they were certainly at odds with each other for a long time. But now it's kind of like this is this is kind of your best friend as far as you know, the suffering <laughs> of mourning this person. You know, he's in as much pain as you are. Yep, that's and dude. I, sure. I still, man, I'm not even gonna lie. Like, I still don't want to believe it. I'm like, no fucking way. Like, she she can't be right. Like, she's not really dead. I don't know. Was in the credits. Ah, you're right. You're that was right. pretty wild. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Katie said they, they don't fucking waste any time. These guys. <laughs> you're out. Yikes. Yeah. Ugh, it's, it's sad, man. This was this was a good final moment. It fucking got me a little choked up when poor poor Anders was touching the picture. Yeah, did you squirt out of your eyes? Did you? No, oh, old piss, old pissy eyes. <laughs> a little bit of little pissy eyes, a little misty. Oh, poor Anders. Uh, talk to me about Gaius's last scene. <laughs> he gets that dude. note. He gets the pen back. He gets the little letter. Gets the little letter. And dude, see, this is this is another moment where I'm a little bit confused again. But I think <laughs> it, isn't it essentially Lampkin saying, you know, in his roundabout poetic way, using Gaius's own words. Uh, that, hey, you've got another ally. You've got Lee Adama. Right. Uh, you know, no better ally than a son who chooses to step from his father's shadow. Basically, yeah. Yep, he says it in a poetic way. But that's uh, that's a big deal. Because right. we know that Lee is very capable. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, we, we, we had that little tangent on teasing Lampkin, but the reality is we go, well, this case is a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. Multiple lawyers, at least, well, one, maybe, what was it, one or just one, just one lawyer? One lawyer killed, I think. Right. So um, a, lawyer, a lawyer gets killed. We know that this guy is not popular outside of this growing, we, we know he's got a following, right? Oh, yeah. But the general consensus is the fleet hates him. The military hates him. Oh, hey, And since they're yes. kind of running the shop, we're a bit skeptical that things are going to go smoothly on the one hand or, or even fairly. Is that even a right. thing? So <laughs> this guy, Lampkin, comes in and he goes, well, what am I going to do here? Um, let's first see about the witnesses and then let's see if we can get some support from within the very bureaucracy that we are doing battle against. So this is a big win for Lampkin, despite his odd philosophical musings. Right. And right. thus a big win for for Gaius, as that's how we close the episode. Which honestly, this is that last, this final moment is kind of what made me go, oh, was was Lampkin really just angling to get Lee involved? <laughs> was maybe, that one of his? Maybe, maybe, maybe once he met Lee, maybe right. once he realized Lee was assigned to him, maybe once he knew he studied with the Adamas. It's, it's interesting right. to think about 
you know, he probably has a perception of Lee that Lee doesn't even have about himself just by way of spending all that time with Joe Adama. Exactly. And he probably yeah. sees something in him that he saw in Joe. Well, so he even he, makes the point. He's like, you look just like him. Exactly. And, and, and even beyond that, he, he sees something in him that reminds him of Joe, which means he knows that he could potentially be a good ally. And I think that's part of this whole seduction. Like he's very, he has a seductive nature about him. He does it to six. Yeah. He tries with guys, not as well. And guys is tough to beguile. And then he really does it with Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And even the president, the president's like, wow, he's really quirky and weird. In, in, but even she, like you said, our, our world is falling apart. She says or something when he gets to six, but right. yeah, this guy strolls in and, and I think his history with the Adama family from a legal perspective gives him a pretty interesting inroad to convince Lee that this is the move. Right. Right. You know, one thing and that's talking scary about is- for, that's scary for Bill Adama because Bill Adama understands his grandfather. When he yeah. says, you're no lawyer, I don't think he really believes it. I think he's scared when he says that. Yes, 100%. Right? And I think yeah. he knows that his son is a very determined individual, especially if he believes that there is an opening there in that the evidence doesn't play for the colonial fleet's favor, the state, <laughs> as it were. Right. And, and Lee will fucking tear it apart with the assistance of this really shrewd and sneaky, seductive, perceptive weirdo with the sunglasses, Lampkin. I mean, this is this is the best that guys could have hoped for in a week ago or two weeks ago when we were discussing this show. Well, Kara was dying, but it was, oh boy, what's guys going to do? Who has no friends? What, what's the move here? <laughs> no allies, yeah. All I know is that if I'm Lampkin and I'm Lee, I'm going right for Gata. Yeah, Or is it Kato? I don't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kato, Kato, it all blends together. But it's a really cool setup for the two-parter coming. Uh, dude, do you absolutely. have anything else you want to say about this one? Well, dude, for one, just talking, you know, just now and listening to you talk about it, it, it dawned on me one fact that I think is really interesting. Just the sheer fact that Lee was not there on New Caprica. Like he was one of the Correct. people who never went down. And I think that is that is an aspect to him that is easy to overlook. But I think Lee's the mm. kind of person who, you know, whereas Bill is very much fuck Baltar. <laughs> like just that fuck him. He's a squirrely bitch. I don't like him. Uh, whereas Lee has always been the more inquisitive one, always more interested in the truth. And I think just the mystery of him not knowing what truly went on down there, other than just knowing the the broad strokes of the Cylon occupation and that uh, you know they manipulated and, and were using uh, Gaius and Gaius was going along with him seemingly. The big stuff he knows, but the it's real, really, it's really, it's a really good point by you. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's something he doesn't have firsthand knowledge of, and I think he's starting to realize how much he doesn't know. He and didn't experience that, the horrors down on New Caprica like the people gunning for Gaius did. Right, it's that right. simple. I think, yeah, and I think he is just the kind of person who would want to go. Well, let's find out what really happened. Let's do it. Let's understand it. I, I, that's something I've always liked about Lee, and I think that's what we're we're getting back on track with his character in this episode. And I I I'm, agree. <laughs> and say what you want about everything else that's going on in this episode. If there's one thing, if the if the one major takeaway this week is, it's that Lee is. We know that Lee has no agenda unlike every other character involved in this thing. Dude, 100%. Because, right. yeah, you, you got to imagine that the Admiral and the President Lampkin are, by are, his own admission does. What's that? Lampkin by his own admission does. <laughs> right, right. And you I'm know the famous. President. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know the President and the Admiral are lockstep in, fuck Baltar, we're going to sink him. <laughs> that's Absolutely. Done. You know, that's what they want. And it's uh, so every, obvious. 
everybody's made up their minds. Um, that's yep, the interesting thing exactly. about this whole case. Everybody has made up their minds long ago. And, and Lee seems to be the one last person who's like, I'm not sure. Let's find out. Yep. And that's great. Yep. It's good shit. It's good shit. Great episode. Hell yeah. Well, want to read any more listener comments? Sure. Let's do it. Tommy Brinkley coming in hot. I enjoyed this episode. It was kind of like the calm before the trial. While it was interesting to see how the crew was dealing with the death of Starbuck, namely Adam Apollo, Anders and Ty. For me, the highlight of this episode is none other than Romo Lampkin. Lampkin Hell is yeah. called in to take on a case that he has no shot at winning. And he's like, whatever, I win this and I'll be inducted into the Lawyer Hall of Fame. Then he goes <laughs> about getting Caprica Six back and Baltar's good graces turning against his father yet again and to help solve the mystery of the terrorist bomber all with a pen a tarnished jacket button a magnet and a few stories to pull on the old hot strings well said tommy you uh, said what we were fumbling about trying to say for an hour so good job to you, <laughs> you it. you're hired <laughs> who do you got all right i got one from miss julie herod katulak she says, I know Lee is completely crushed by the loss of Starbuck. Is he supposed to be drunk all the time? Because that's how he comes off in this episode. <laughs> Maybe it's just the acting. It bothered me, though. His father's grief is so palpable. It makes you want to sit with him, get drunk, and cry. We never got to meet Baltar's annoying lawyer before they wipe him out. No worries. He gets a new one. I find the treatment of the cat as suspect. That kleptomaniac shouldn't have a pet. I do like this <laughs> lawyer, though. He is quirky and obviously damaged, but super smart. When he was speaking to Six about Baltar and his pin, was he implying she should sacrifice herself? Thank you, Julie. It had me fucking confused, too. I don't think the bomber was working alone. This is all getting so tense, and it's been so long since I've seen any of this. I don't remember all these great details, but overall, an awesome episode. Yes, sir. Beautiful. Uh, Danny Falch has a long comment, but I want to zero in on this. This mm. show has been great in using minor characters and major plot points instead of trying to cram a new character in to then dispense with them. Mm. What a great point, Daniel Felch. That's a, a very good point. point. Yeah. Too many shows do this. Right, right. Where where they, have, they introduce a character and fucking kill them by the end of that episode. You're like, wow, that was a quick one. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. That's a really good point. Boy, I would like to see, yeah, how far, I mean, I'm imagining, obviously, all the way through the trial, uh, Lampkin will be there. I also want to say one other point from Tommy Brinkley, because it's good, and he says it with a smile. He says, did anyone catch Baltar bouncing on Lee's bed after the guards took off the bulletproof vest? I did, actually. He sort of just tests the the springiness of the bed. That is a great acting moment <laughs> from James Callis because it yeah. shows you that he's been in very uncomfortable like living quarters as a prisoner. Right, right. That really like, oh, nice touch. Nice. Really nice touch. That had to be ad-libbed. <sighs> that's a good point. Didn't even think yeah. about that. Really good catch, Tommy. Man, Tommy! Tommy, <laughs> Tommy and Danny, man, don't, don't start a podcast. <laughs> like, crush us. Tommy and Danny. <laughs> Too sharp. That'd be awesome. They could name it Ebony and Ivory. That'd be badass. Tom, Tommy's black. Daniel's white as can be. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory go together like peace and harmony. They can sing that, and then they can start their podcast. <laughs> and then they start, and back to Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. They could take callers from like lonely women at home at night. Tommy gets on. I'm just going to be stereotypical now. Tommy gets on. He's got that smooth jazz voice. How's it going, baby? What's shaking? Michelle, how are you tonight? Yeah. Well, oh, tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't love you anymore. I understand. That could be part of their show. I don't know why. That and television stuff. I don't, it's anyways, like we're mixing real... up the genres, but I think it'll work. <laughs> and back to being real sad about Starbucks death. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. 
Well, Matthew, in two weeks' time, we're going to be discussing the finale, if you can believe it, That's crazy. of season three, Battlestar Galactica. And when That's we do, we're going to be discussing both of the episodes in one podcast, which we've been doing for a lot of our two-parters. Wow. So in two weeks' time, we will be wrapping up season three. Boy, oh boy, boy say it ain't so. Boy, oh boy, it's been a long 15 years, but here we are. We got yeah, there. It sure has been. It sure has been. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we are going to get out of here, Matthew Anderson, and uh, you, lovely listener. And until next time, we'll catch you guys all on the flip side.